is your daily business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 21st of August 2023. Later, we'll speak with Mark Fitzgibbon. He is the CEO of the private health insurer NIB about the future direction of the company and where premiums will go. And on market day, we've got Luke McMillan from Fear Asset Management. But first, to the Business Council of Australia, which released its report into how to lift productivity here in Australia, which is at a 60-year low and impedes on the standard of living. It's got a plan which looks into 10 key levers to pull. So to find out what they are and what it means for the economy, I spoke with the Business Council of Australia CEO, Jennifer Westacott. Jennifer, your report says Australia is languishing when it comes to productivity and global competitiveness. How so? Can you put it into context? Well, productivity, uh, which is the way we do things, the effectiveness of how we do things, how good we are at using technology, how much we're investing, how we train our people, how easy it is to do business. That has been basically flatlined for quite a long time. We've had the worst decade for 60 years. Why does that matter? Because it's productivity that drives wages growth. 80% of wages growth has been driven by improvements to labour productivity. And to be productive, you've got to be more competitive. You've got to be able to attract investment. So those things together are what our report's about today. How do we grow the economy? How do we lift living standards? How do we grow people's wages? How do we maintain full employment? By lifting our productivity, lifting our competitiveness, doing things better, doing them differently for the benefit of all Australians. So you've outlined 10 key policy levers that should be pulled for faster economic growth. What are some of the key ones? Well, the first thing is we have to make sure we do lift that productivity and competitiveness. And that's about doing things smarter. That's about innovation. That's about invention. That's about doing things here in Australia. The second thing we have to do is broaden the base of our economy. We've got too many eggs in one basket. And that's about tapping into those world's big supply chains, advanced manufacturing, quantum, AI, and doing the things that we're already good at mining, resources, and then moving to critical minerals, agribusiness. We are fantastic at these things. New markets will open up. The next thing we've got to do is skill our people. We've got to make sure that we skill people from the time they're children to the time they're working, and a lifelong approach to skilling people so they can rapidly upskill as the world changes. Then we have to make sure we tap into those big global markets, particularly in Southeast Asia, by constantly working on our trade agenda. Then we have to make sure that we unleash private sector to do the heavy lifting on the economy. And that's about ease of doing business, getting rid of all the reg regulation and red tape that holds business back. And then finally, governments need to play their role, spend our money efficiently, get our budget under control so that we've got the money to pay for the services that the community needs now and into the future. I'm glad you mentioned the government and tax there because I'm keen to know what your relationship is with the government, how the government's reacted to this report, namely on tax reform, because we did hear from the Treasurer today who basically ruled out any changes to GST, which is one of the things you're putting on the table. There are a potential lift in the GST rate. Um, so the government says it's not on the agenda. What's your response? 
Look, we've had a very, very good engagement with the government and uh, the Treasurer today, uh, thanking uh, us for putting out this work, talking about the enormous number of areas of agreement. Look, on tax, we're simply asking this question. We need a tax system that's fit for purpose. Uh, it needs to be able to raise the revenue we need for the services that people want and need, and we need to do it in a way that drives the economy, that creates the incentives for businesses to invest, that creates the incentives for people to work. At the moment, the tax system will not do that. And so we're simply saying, in its current form, we, it will not raise the revenue that people need, and it will not do it in a way that drives the economy harder. So let's have the conversation about the kind of tax system we need. Let's not take anything off the table. We understand tax reform is a difficult thing, but we think we should at least be willing to have the conversation. So what is the risk to the economy and to the average Australian for not taking any action, for not following the steps in your plan? Well, if we take the actions that we've outlined in our report, we'll go on the high road, the high road to higher growth, a better economy and if you just take the long run average uh, of our economy growing at around three, just over 3% a year, 3.3%, if we could get back to that level in a decade, our economy would be $200 billion bigger, governments would have an extra $50 billion to spend and the average Australian worker would be $7,000 a year better off. So a lot of this is about opportunity, about seizing the moment, taking the opportunities in front of us and going hard with an agenda that grabs them. If we don't, if we continue to grow our economy at just over 1%, we're staring into these huge global forces, digitisation, a very volatile world, the country will not be as resilient, we will not see the living standards that we are forecasting if we did the sort of things we're talking about, and we run the risk of being the first generation of Australians who leave the next generation in worse shape. And finally, I'm keen to know what the BCA's position is on the Indigenous voice to Parliament, why, and if you are financially backing the campaign one way or the other. Well, the BCA's had a long-standing position to support uh, the voice to Parliament. Uh, we take that position because we profoundly believe uh, in Indigenous people having a say in matters that relate to them. And we do it because um, many of our companies are working with Indigenous people. They're trying to create economic opportunities. They've been in these communities, in some cases, for over a hundred years. And we know that we will get better results by listening. And so we stand behind the call of the Uluru Statement uh, to give that constitutional recognition of a voice. We are not uh, financially contributing to the campaign, but we stand there in support of this um, voice, we stand in support of the referendum, and we stand ready to work with Indigenous people, as we have been for over a decade and more, creating jobs, creating economic opportunities, creating Indigenous businesses, and making sure that Indigenous Australians have a say uh, in how their affairs are managed. Jennifer Westercott there from the Business Council of Australia. Profit reporting season continues in Australia. NIB, the private health insurer, posted a 42.8% increase for the full year at $191 million. That's as member numbers grew and students returned to Australia. For more on those results, including what it means for premiums, I spoke with its CEO, Mark Fitzgibbon. Mark, health insurance members up 4.7%, the strongest result since financial year 2015. Why do you think this is, despite the rising cost of living and as we exit the pandemic? 
Oh, there are a number of reasons, Ricardo. I think COVID-19 increased people's consciousness of the risk of disease and the need for protection, um, such as uh, health insurance. Um, And we don't celebrate the fact, but it'll also raise our awareness about the limitations of the public system. Um, you know, the the weight on elective surgery and so so forth. And, you know, uh, as a sector, uh, you know, including us, we've invested um, in the in the uh, our products and, and services and how we imagine the future and the, the, the actual value of having private health insurance. What, what about the young and healthy? Are they still interested in private health insurance? Well, we certainly have a track record of um, being quite successful at attracting younger people, kind of swimming against the tide because the system as a whole needs a constant influx of um, younger people to support um, uh, the oldies. Now, most of, even amongst younger people, they've probably become more conscious of, of disease risk uh, and the need for protection. Um, and certainly for NIB, we've always been very focused on that segment of the market through the way we design products, through the way we market products, through the way we distribute uh, uh, products. So um, it's a challenge for the sector to continue to be attractive to, to younger people. Arguably, it's uh, biggest um, uh, challenge. But, you know, progress is being made. The the system grew, gee, I think it's grown for about eight halves um, from well before COVID now. So it's doing well. Speaking of challenges, as I mentioned earlier, rising costs of living, interest rates climbing. Um, are you worried about how that will ultimately impact your business and, and I guess, member numbers? We're vigilant about, um, you know, those kind of macroeconomic uh, factors. The, the history suggests that it's not a bigger factor for private health insurance as it has been for other parts of um, the marketplace um, for all sorts of reasons. So often in times of tough economic circumstances, people are even more worried about risk to the health and the costs that could be uh, associated with that. And again, while we don't celebrate it, you know, 50% of the, 50% of the Australians have private health insurance and 30% of the Kiwis have private health insurance. They tend to be wealthier folks, less affected by, you know, mortgage stress. Um, so look, I'm, I'm not saying it's a, uh, a time to ignore macroeconomic factors, but it's certainly not going to hold us back in terms of our investment in the business. You know how in the retail space, we often hear about how consumers are trading down to more value products. Are we seeing that in, in the health, a private health industry in your business? Are, are people trading down from, say, you know, um, a, a gold gold cover to something lower? We, we see a little bit of that, but again, it's not, as people age, it's not a natural thing to reduce your level of cover. It's quite quite the opposite and the insurance pool as it age will counter that 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 kind of phenomenon and look as we say in the business we'd rather somebody downgrade than leave so it's all it's a save device within the company uh, as well so um yeah ideally we'd love everyone to have the top level of cover to cover all their um uh, risks but the reality of it is some people are prepared to self-insure or rely on medicare for some risk and to save money we know inflation's running at 6%. Um, you've seen premium revenue growth of $2.9 billion, um, outpacing that of claims, $2.2 billion. Um, what kind of an indication can you give members or future members in terms of how much premiums will increase in the future? And, you know, are they tied to inflation? Will they be above inflation? 
Well, the kind of assurance I can give them, well, first of all, just looking at our results, our group revenue grew about 11%, and so too did our underlying profitability. So our profitability is growing with the success of the company in growing the business. Our profitability in our Australian residence health insurance business actually went went backwards as we moved towards more sustainable premiums. It was only the profitability of our adjacent businesses, international workers and students and travel, and their recovery, which um, produced such a strong result together with our investment returns. So people can be reassured that this, this, this good result we reported today wasn't on the back of their uh, private health insurance premiums in Australia or, or, or New Zealand. Now, in terms of the future, yeah, since I've been in the business, which is quite some time now, premiums have tended to increase between four and six percent. You know, during COVID, we because claims fell off so heavily, we we're able to um, increase premiums by less than three percent for two years, and then deferred uh, in both cases to premium increases. I expect it's just a question of the trajectory of inflation and the timing of the return to whatever the new normal is. But at some point, we'll move back to a world where, where claims are growing at 4 to 6% and uh, premiums are growing um, aligned with that kind of inflation. Um, you touched on your international business, a policyholder growth there of nearly 16%, record premium revenue. What's that saying about the return of migrants to Australia, especially students? Well, um, it's, it's saying that Australia's appetite for skilled and unskilled labour remains un- undiminished. And one of the reasons we were able to do so well through COVID is we we pretty much monopolised what limited worker Im- temporary worker immigration was occurring through the Pacific um, Island uh, labour agreements. So that was positive. That won't change. Um, and similarly, students will return here because Australia is such an attractive destination. We have high-quality institutions. We have similar time zones uh, to Asia. Australia is relatively safe uh, as a country. And, of course, you can stay in Australia and work after your graduation, which is um, of, of enormous appeal to many students. Two final questions. Artificial intelligence is a, a real buzzword in corporate Australia at the moment. How is or how can NIB harness its power to benefit both uh, consumers, members and its own business? <laughs> Oh, in so many ways, Ricardo. Look, at the guts of our business strategy, this idea is we can develop such a deep insight into your health risk that we're able to provide you with, with support and services and your doctor, which help which helps you mitigate the risk of the, a particular disease and, and stay healthy. AI is at the heart of that. And the more advanced AI becomes, the better we'll become at that. It enables us to improve the efficiency of our claims management and operations you know, I was chatting with uh, a team last week. We we quality assure all our phone calls and we have a team of people who do that and they do about 5% of all calls. Uh, generative AI can do 100% of all calls with, with amazing um, precision. So, uh, you know, that sounds like a bit of a threat to, to jobs and I guess it is, but this is really, you know, when I started in the business, we employed 350 people a day, we employed 2,000. So I'm a great believer that, you know, you can't be luddite about this. You can't hold back on technology and its power. And if you do it well, you'll grow the, the company as a whole. So it has many applications across the business through that heavily strategic insight through to day-to-day uh, operations. Final question and something I'm asking all CEOs at the very end uh, during reporting season. What's your company's position on the Indigenous voice to parliament? Why? And are you fa- financially backing the campaign one way or another? 
Great question. So we're very supportive uh, of The Voice, both at a company level and, and certainly at, at, at a personal uh, a, a level. I fear the repercussions of a no vote. I just think the idea is insane. Um, having said that, we respect everyone has a, a choice uh, in this issue and our company position uh, is not to virtue signal, but it's simply our company position is we we know firsthand the egregious gaps in access to care and health outcomes for Indigenous people. That's just beyond refute. And if the voice assists that, helps reduce those those gaps, which we think it will, we think it's undeniably a, a good thing for Australia and particularly our First Nations people. Mark Fitzgibbon there, the CEO of NIB. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. Australian share market fell today. The S&P ASX 200 down half percent, 7,115. For more, I spoke with Luke McMillan. He is the head of research at Fear Asset Management. It's been a fairly muted market overall at a, at a headline level, only um, uh, small moves. That really follows a, a fairly flat Friday in terms of markets. The Aussie market had had a little bit of a, a headwind because the banking sector's down today, and largely that's been driven down by by Westpac, which came out with some cost guidance, which surprised the market was a little on the uh, on the high side. But there was quite a bit of action uh, under the surface, if you like, in terms of results that we've seen, particularly in the consumer discretionary space. Today. Before we go into those results, uh, one key theme, China continuing to disappoint. Um, what's the latest there and how concerning is it? Because there's some moves by the central bank there again. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the key themes really over the last few months is that the data out of China, the economic data has continued to disappoint. So in July, you know, we had quite poor retail sales numbers, quite poor uh, um, industrial production numbers uh, tick up in, in the unemployment rate, falls in falls in property prices, uh, and so you know has been an underwhelming uh, reopening of the Chinese economy. Um, there was a cut in the short term lending rate by ten basis points um, just recently. That was again underwhelmed the market as well. They were looking for sort of at least fifteen basis points and also cuts to longer term rates that that weren't seen. And so there's still that question mark, and there's still the uh, you know the market asking for more stimulus. So some companies exposed to China are now delivering some sort of warnings. A2 Milk, one of them today. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, A2 Milk, uh, soft, softer results. Um, you know, we think, you know, a, a great management uh, team there, there at A2, but really dealing with a tougher macro environment. So we're seeing, you know, a slow birth rate uh, in China, which is a headwind for them, and then also just slow macro growth uh, and slow retail sales, which is affecting their business. We're also seeing a little bit of a slowdown in terms of the, the premiumization of infant milk formula uh, in China. Um, shorter term headwinds, though, we think for the business. Longer term, there's still a lot to like about that business, still taking market share um, in that growing market where they've just cracked for the first time this financial year, a billion dollars of sales uh, into Asia. One interesting story today, uh, Premier Investments shares up around 10% at one stage. Its CEO is leaving the company as it ponders a demerger of its um, Peter Alexander brand and Smiggle business. But this also comes at a time of lower consumer confidence. What do you make of it? Because some other consumer-leaning businesses like Breville also did very well today, lifting profit margins, but Adairs didn't do well. 
Yeah, it really was the locus of action for the Aussie market today in terms of consumer discretionary. You know, the big news out was with Premier Investments, um, caught the market by surprise, particularly in terms of, uh, you know, the CEO leaving. Um, market really, I think, taking that in stride because Stolly Lou's still at the helm there of, of that business to, to help with any transition in the CEO role. But yeah, the market is obviously, you know, looking at now what's going to happen. They, business potentially wants to separate out the Peter Alexander and the, and the Smiggle uh, brands in the business, which are really the two kind of jewels in the crown of that business. Um, and, and, you know, that should help them uh, focus operationally on those two businesses. It will, however, provide um, potentially a negative headwind in terms of, I guess, their rental negotiating power with landlords if they split out those businesses. So it's definitely a, a watch here part of the market at the moment. But yeah, the, the other two ones that you mentioned in terms of uh, Breville, still, still a good result there. You know, young people are buying Taylor Swift tickets. Older people are still going out there and buying their coffee espresso machines. And so that's, that's definitely the case, helping, helping Breville. Good trading update so far this year. But then on the other hand, with Adairs, really a tough start so far to this financial year. And it's really one of the key themes we've seen this reporting season where those companies that are more exposed to the higher end consumer or have more premium products are actually tending to hold up a bit better at the moment. Whereas those that are, selling into um, the, the lower end consumer are actually finding it a bit tougher at present. All right. Right now, where do you see the opportunities for investors? Well, I, I think what we're seeing at the moment is that if you can uh, have come out with some level of sort of inline or slight beat in terms of uh, earnings and a lot of those uh, are consumer facing businesses into that higher end consumer, you'll continue to do well and find a bid for the market at the moment. So I think if you can find that company that's got resilient top line uh, revenue in a period where there's still very heightened risks of recession out there, you're going to do well. And the other part is looking for those businesses that have got, um, if you like, a lower share of their expenses in things like interest costs or in wages costs, which are really the big headwind for margins at the moment. If they can constrain those, then you'll do well. Luke McMillan there from A Fear Asset Management. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.